Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, I'm joined by Jean Chu, who's a venture partner at Honey Island Capital, which is one of Brazil's leading fintech VCs. We talk about the firm's new Web3 fund, which focuses on liquid tokens and on-chain strategies like farming, staking, and liquidity provision. All right. So I'm here with Jayan Chu from Honey Island Capital. Thanks so much for being here, Jayan. Yeah, thanks for having me here, Aaron. Amazing. So to get started, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, just yourself and then Honey Island Capital? Sure, sure. So uh, I'm a computer engineer. I had an entrepreneur uh, career for a few years. And recently, I, I came back to my origins in technology and investments uh, in Honey Island Capital. So Honey Island Capital, uh, the name of the fund comes from a famous island here called Ilha do Mel in Portuguese. But we are mostly known uh, as a, a fintech focused fund. So the founders of Honey Island Capital are some of the same founders of eBanks. So eBanks is one of the major fintech companies here in Brazil. It's one of our fintech unicorns here. So when eBanks became a unicorn, the founders started to do some angel investments and eventually that got to a, a decent size. So they decided to build a vehicle to accommodate those investments. And that was the start of Hanyan Capital. So they invited Mariana, which was, is one of our managing partners here, and to organize these investments. She is one of the first people from Endeavor here in Brazil. At a second stage, they decided to onboard external capital as well. So not only their proprietary capital, but also external capital. And that was the start of Honey Island as a proper fund. So we launched a second fund, a third fund, a new fund with another asset manager here called Quatum. And we, we got to position ourselves as one of the leading VC funds on the FinTech space in Brazil. So that was it. And as a fintech specialized fund, it started to become uh, clear to us that Web3 was one important next frontier of the fintech space. So we started to do a lot of research in that space uh, and some investment as well. One of those investments was on Liqui, which is one of the major tokenizing companies in Brazil. And eventually we decided to do an, another step, uh, a deeper step. We decided to build a new fund within Honey Island Capital focused only on Web3. And that's my job right now. So I'm a venture partner at Honey Island Capital. I was invited to co-found this new fund here. And what we do here, which is very different from all the other funds from Honey Island Capital, is that this is not a VC fund. So we don't invest in equity here. We are focused on liquid tokens. So what are liquid tokens? Liquid tokens are tokens that are listed on centralized exchanges or decentralized exchanges. They are assets that are liquid to, to be traded. So that is very interesting to us because it allows us to get exposure to this very new industry with, with a lot of upside 
but every day we get to decide if we still believe in this thesis for one market or for another, we believe in one player or another, which means we can every day decide if we want to change our exposure to risk, if we want to change which horse we are betting on and on and, and so on. So Got that's it. what is very different from the other products here at Honey Island Capital. Got it. Got it. And then I'd like to dive into a bit more of your, your strategy and your structure. But uh, before we do that, I'd like to get a better idea of kind of how you came to be in this position. So you said you started your career as you know computer engineer, software engineer, and then as an entrepreneur, and then now you're on the venture side of things. Maybe give us uh, a bit more detail on kind of how you, you know, your, your career trajectory here. Yeah, well, uh, I had a quite an interesting career, actually. So as I said, uh, I graduated as a computer engineer. I was a very passionate computer engineer. So I graduated as top of the class. Uh, summa cum laude, I got uh, scholarships for master degrees and so on. But as soon as I graduated, I was completely passionate by entrepreneurism. So I decided to build my own company. And back then, uh, I started to think why innovations were happening only on technology. So I got inspired by the innovations that were happening on technology and decided to build my first company in other fields. And I actually built an ice cream company and it became a, a big deal. It became a big deal. I don't know if you ever heard of Mexican paletas, paletas mexicanas. Uh, it was a, a big thing here in Brazil back in 2013, 2014. So uh, we built this industry. So we got to be the fifth, fifth largest ice cream company in Brazil. It was quite a, an interesting experience. So oh, wow. yeah, what, what changed from then to now is that I left the operations from my companies to my partners to run, and now I'm completely dedicated to Web3. So I never stepped away from technology. I was always uh, following it closely from a, a passion side, and it, that passion started to grow more and more inside of me. So I started to do some Web3 investments back in 2017 some close friends around me started to ask to join those investments with me. So that was something very small, only between close friends. But eventually that started to grow more and more. And some of those close friends were fund managers here from, from Curitiba. And so when Honey Allen decided to build this Web3 dedicated fund, they already knew the work that I was doing and they invited me. It was a very interesting moment for me because uh, the companies were ready to allow me myself to step away from the administration of the companies and allow me to to embrace this new challenge so nowadays I'm, i got i have the opportunity to do a thing that I'm, I'm completely passionate about and something that I, I believe that might change the world so it's been very very interesting very cool very cool well i love the, the jump from uh, ice cream into web three. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I've, I've <laughs> thought I've heard it all in crypto, but I've never heard quite, you know, yeah, yeah throw, throw in a little bit of AI into that. And I think you've got a, you've got a winning yeah, proposition. Well, that was, was part of my master degree, a bit of, a bit of AI. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. 
No, that's super cool. Um, I always just love hearing about how people end up falling into the kind of the crypto web three uh, rabbit hole because everyone has a uh, kind of a unique entrance uh, story such as yourself. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, so we'd love to dive in a bit more to uh, kind of the value proposition or the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the fun proposition that your some of your investment theses at Honey Island and maybe maybe talk a bit just kind of generally about you know the the fund the broader fund itself and the broader the broader firm uh obviously you're it's a it's a fintech focused firm and obviously brazil is you know a hotbed for for fintechs and uh that's not exactly a secret at this point uh so maybe talk a bit about just the investment thesis more broadly and then we can dive into uh what your fund specifically uh is is looking to accomplish sure great so uh Latin America is a very uh, thriving place for, for fintechs. So we have so uh, many people in need of credit, especially here. So startups focusing on bringing credit to uh, specialized opportunities is something that we are very bullish on here. So many of our invested uh, companies here are focused on bringing credit to our financial services to unbanked people or specific types of companies here. And we, we believe that uh, finance can transform a country, can transform societies. Everything nowadays have a touch of financial elements. So the fintech space is really broad and can embrace many different kinds of markets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Let's maybe um, talk a bit about what are some of the, the success stories that the uh, you know some of the successes that that the that the fund has 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 invested in, uh, whether it be from the Web two or Web three side of things. Like obviously Leaky's, uh, you know, kind of a hot emerging company right now in the in the tokenization space. Uh, but are, are there any kind of other uh, champions that have or uh, you know success stories that you're pointing to as as these are the these are some of the big wins? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So one of the oldest we, we can bring here is like uh, contabilizate. Uh, so the, the best success stories, they obviously will be from the earliest stages of the fund because they got the, the time to mature to now be able to be accounted as a, a big success story. So the, the newest investments, they haven't had the time yet to, to mature yet, but as you said, Leaky is a very, very potential case. But speaking of the oldest ones, so Contabilize is a very interesting case. Uh, they, they revolutionized the way uh, accounting firms work here in Brazil. So they managed to bring very, very uh, cheap accounting services, enabling uh, companies here to uh, access very good quality accounting services at very cheap prices, much cheaper than any other accounting firm were able to bring back in mm. the day because they did that through technology uh, using uh, a concentrated service in a, one specific location and bringing that kind of service to the entire country through the internet. So that's the kind of thing that we try to, to bring here. Specifically on Web3, uh, what we do here is to bring a fundamental approach to screen the entire market and now globally 
right? Because on, on the VC side, we are very Latin focused, but on the Web3 side, we get to analyze opportunities throughout the, the whole uh, globe, right? So we analyze fundamentally tokens uh, to build our positions. We have a multi-strategy approach here. So part of our strategy here is to build uh, a defensive position to fall less when the market's falling and uh, a bigger beta for the upside when the market's on a, a, a bold spirit. Uh, we try to bring uh, quantitative approaches as well to uh, to help us make decisions on when to increase or decrease our risk exposure as, as well. So uh, that's a bit what, of what we do here. Right now, our, our Web3 fund is in a more of a lab phase. So we are only using proprietary capital just as when the first fund, uh, the first VC fund of Anyanet was only using proprietary capital, the Web3 fund is only using proprietary capital. Right now, we are going to wait for a few more months and we are planning on bringing that product to the market only next year, maybe. So we are going to allow this lab phase to run its course, to make the experience, bring all the expertise we want to consolidate here to then bring it to our other clients. Got it, got it. So going back to your strategy of, of really focusing on, on liquid tokens, um, this seems, I guess, in, in my view, this seems a bit sort of maybe counterintuitive to what I think a lot of other firms might be doing, which is really taking more of an equity position, just given you know tokens aren't quite doing as well as they <laughs> have in the past price-wise. Um, but maybe talk a bit about why you've taken this uh, particular strategy and kind of, I mean, this is, this, I mean, this is not like a new debate necessarily, the equity versus tokens uh, conundrum, if you will. It's not, you know, a new, uh, a new debate here at all, but maybe talk a bit about why you are, are bullish on the, the token approach uh, at this sure. point in time. Yeah, uh, tokens allow us to extract alpha uh, in a very different way. Uh, kind of, of way. So what we do here that's very different is that we are a native Web3 fund. So we not only invest on technology, we actually use it. So we engage on chain, we use different blockchains, we use DEXs, staking, farming, we provide liquidity. So that is very different. And operating on chain allows us to build alpha, to build returns in a very different way that only buying and selling tokens on centralized exchanges, which is what most funds do nowadays. So we can only do that through tokens. So generating yield through farming, through staking, uh, uh, using DeFi as it was meant to be used. And using all of those tools also gives us a very different level of insight on what these technologies have to evolve in order to be able to onboard the next billion users. Using those tools really allows us to understand the technology, to feel the pain points and so on. Got it, got it. And then maybe talk a bit about the types of projects or the, the types of tokens that uh, you guys are, are 
either you know already invested in or are you're kind of doing some due diligence on or you might have in the pipeline um what i mean i realize you guys just launched maybe a couple of months ago so you're still fairly new in the game but what is what is kind of that uh, that portfolio or how, how are you thinking about that portfolio construction at this point in time sure sure so uh, at this moment we are mostly focused on infrastructure tokens infrastructure projects such as uh, L1s, L2s, and so on, and DeFi. So most of the uh, most well-known DeFi projects, a bit of uh, some new projects that are completely out of the radar for most people yet. So these are some small, uh, small caps uh, bets that we take on sometimes, some IDOs, uh, but. In general, generally speaking, infrastructure and DeFi, and a bit of intercommunication as well. So, uh, protocols investing on building bridges, uh, messaging protocols, that sort of thing as well for the multi-chain narrative. Got it. Got it. And then um, switching gears here a little bit. So, you posted uh, fairly recently a really good thread that I thought on 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 Twitter about kind of the digital rail and you kind of laid out uh, a nice kind of case for what this exactly is and why, you know, why this is something that people around the world should be paying attention to and kind of what it means for the Brazilian uh, financial ecosystem. And maybe just hoping you could maybe summarize a bit what you're trying to communicate in that thread. And, um, and just given that you all are a, a FinTech focused VC in Brazil that has like a web three bent to it. Now uh, I'd love to get into a conversation here about how you see all that, you know, your, your existing investment theses overlapping with what's happening in the digital rail economy right now, or what, you know, what is becoming the digital rail economy still obviously in pilot right now, but, um, but yeah, I would love if we could kind of dive into that. Sure. Yeah. That, that was a, a bit of a, a long track. So I'll focus on some parts of it. Uh, what I wanted to talk about mostly in there uh, is that approach of a governmental uh, permission at blockchain that Brazil is taking. That is very interesting because right now it is on an early stage. Uh, Brazil is building its own blockchain uh, specifically right now for a CBDC, uh, a wholesale CBDC only to cir circulate between banks. But as a next stage, they will start to tokenize uh, bonds, treasuries, that kind of thing. And on a later stage, smart contracts as well. And what is very different is that that will not be a public blockchain. That will be a permissioned blockchain. So only financial institutions will be able to, to build smart contracts in there. So I think that's a very interesting conversation because a lot of the new technology that is being built on public blockchains will exist on this permissioned blockchain. Most of these technologies are are open source, so they they are on, they are based on a, a free license. So generally, that usually means that other companies can take that technology and fork it. So banks and other financial institutions here in Brazil will basically take all this tech, fork it inside of the national blockchain here and, and use it. And 
I, I think protocols and founders have to start taking a look have to start taking a look at, at a possible future when other countries start taking that approach as well, building their own blockchains on on with fences around it, you know, and how protocol builders, founders can take advantage of that. Otherwise, all of that new technology they're building, these innovation they're building will just be granted to other people. So hmm. what I, I try to suggest in that thread is maybe there should be a discussion on the new kind of software license that allows for innovation on public blockchains, but also protects uh, builders, founders in that kind of situation to protect their intellectual property in the case of permissioned blockchains. Hmm. Interesting. Well, this is, yeah, this is, this is probably a whole separate conversation altogether, but I think it's quite interesting. And, and you are seeing a lot of examples of this happening where even with, I think there was, it was like this bank for international settlements. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, it might've been the project Mariana where they basically took the curve yeah. uh, kind of stable coin pooling model. They just sort of took that, got that code and then built their own version of it exactly. essentially. Yeah, the JP Morgan uh, sandbox project as well. They use it, Aave code as well. Uh, so we are seeing some some elements of that already happening. But isn't that maybe the 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 isn't that kind of like the point of open source though? Is that anybody can kind of take the code and run with it, um, or? Um, uh, in, in a sort of way, yes. So that's that's depending on what the the founder, the the builder of that intellectual property wanted from that. So yeah, if they are building it just as a, a common good, then yes. But if they want to make a profit of that in some way, maybe from the use of the technology, then I would say maybe no, because they're building that technology and the use cases will be would be fancied inside of other countries' blockchains where they would have no access unless yeah. they gain financial institutions, which we know it's very, very hard. Uh, it's a long process and there are many, many uh, restrictions on who can be a financial institution in each jurisdiction. Right, right. Yeah, and obviously we saw, we've seen that even with the, the digital rail pilot here where uh, there's 16 consortiums participating, but every consortium has to have a you know a, a, like a regulated financial institution involved in order to uh, be able to basically run a node on the on the on the digital rail testnet, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think you I, even saw I what... an approach of saying if something like that is right or wrong. I just think it's an important thing to be discussed. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that is a yeah, that's that's a bit of a totally different conversation. I think that's probably you know it would be a fun one to have with a, a group of lawyers. Uh, and open source builders, um, but it's. I think it's one you're going to start seeing. It'll, it'll, it'll probably become much more relevant in the next like year or two as uh, some of these innovations start being I'm trying to. I'm not sure what the right word would here be. You know, co-opted or or just you know, kind of <laughs> copy and pasted into use into permission systems that governments are building for themselves, where the, the person who actually or the team that actually created the 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 thing itself is sort of shut out from the value of it. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, 
more specifically on the CBDC project here in Brazil, the uh, Real Digital project, it's very interesting. So as a, as a wholesale CBDC, it's a, a digital currency that will only circulate throughout institutions. So let's say I want to transfer money to you. So I use bank A and you use bank B. What will happen is I would, my bank, bank A, will destroy my tokens, transfer CBDCs to your bank, and your bank would mint uh, bank B tokens to you. So our banks would have non-fungible tokens. So bank A reals wouldn't, wouldn't be fungible with bank B reals, but that would be all transparent to the user. It wouldn't matter because it will all be in a very smooth interface. Uh, but even so, that is very, very interesting because the way the financial system works today is that banks transfer messages basically to one another. They don't transfer value digitally. It's much harder to do that. So mm -hmm. whenever bank A transfer money to bank B nowadays, uh, there's actually an internal account where bank A has an account on bank B and bank B has an account on bank A. So that they make this internal transfer, which is called uh, Nostra and Vostra accounts. And from time to time, they settle these differences. So there is an actual physical transfer of money. So cars transferring cash, airplanes transferring cash, that, that kind of thing, which is crazy to think that nowadays that kind of thing still has to exist. So right. what very, very interesting is that with CBDCs, with wholesale CBDCs, they can actually transfer value through the message. So it's much, much more efficient. And this also allows for the central bank to uh, monitor in real time all of the bank's balance sheets. So today they depend on like manual balance sheets, which are published from time to time. So the level of risk that banks sometimes are running, it's not uh, completely known for the regulator, which leads to situations such as the bank crisis, Silicon Valley banks, uh, Silicon Valley yeah. banks, and that kind of thing, you know? So allowing for the, the regulator to see the actual balance sheets in real time on uh, transparent blockchains will allow for a much safer financial system. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah the the Silicon Valley you know bank crisis of uh, a couple of months ago really highlighted the extent to which uh, I I think even even people in the crypto industry who are you know the, the inherently sort of people who are skeptical of banks and are, were even shocked at like just how uh, maybe little transparency there there is into this uh, even in a, a you know fully you know heavily regulated market like the U.S. Um, so that's super interesting. I like the way you're describing that. It's it's a, it's a very sort of um, you know the way you're putting that makes it makes a lot of sense in my mind. Uh, it's helping me kind of envision how this system actually is going to work and what the value is going and, to be. We try to to take that kind of first principles approach because it helps us to understand uh, not only the short term like price actions of tokens and that kind of thing, but really the the fundamentals that will make. Uh, some types of technologies thrive on possible different futures. So I'm not saying that that will happen, that each country will definitely have their own blockchain and that sort of thing. But it is a, it, it is a possible future. So in that yeah. possible future, what kind of projects should we invest on to 
get exposure to an possible to a possible upside and that kind of scenario. And if mm. that doesn't happen, what kind of project should should we invest in? So by understanding every possible uh, future on the long run, we can position ourselves to be able to to get benefits from uh, any possible way that technology evolves. You know. Got it. Got it. And on the, piggybacking off of that uh, that response, maybe talk a bit about more about what your you know your investment thesis with regards to the, how your your kind of the fintech arm of the the fund and kind of this, this the fintech sort of ethos of the fund really overlaps with what you see or what you, what could potentially be, be this digital rail economy is this this tokenized financial system uh, that the kind of the, the banking system uh, elites here have have been uh, uh, developing. Yeah. So as an investment company, we we share uh, a few beliefs on where the financial technologies should evolve as a whole. So when we talk about our different investment funds within Hanyan Capital, uh, it is more of uh, the type of investment. So whenever a, like a Web3 opportunity arrives, if it is a token opportunity, it is on my fund. If it is an equity opportunity, it is for my colleagues, the, the VC side. So it's much, uh, the, the difference between the vehicles is much more focused on the type of investments and not the, the core beliefs. Got it, got it. And then anything else you want to add on um, how, I mean, I'd be, I'd be interested in particular in kind of how you see your your, your vantage point to the, the token focused side of things could potentially interact. You know, what opportunities are there here with, uh, kind of a tokenized financial system in Brazil. Um, are you looking at, you know, any of these kind of real world assets or any of these uh, kind of, you know, tokenized assets that we're seeing, you know, tokenized bonds or tokenized debentures, tokenized carbon credits, you know, all these sorts of things. Are these, are these types of things that you're looking at or are you kind of maybe more focusing on maybe more of like the crypto native type of uh, tokens? Yeah, we are definitely very interested in that. And we already have exposure to that through Leaky. So Leaky as a, a leading tokenizing company, bring uh, Honey Island Capital as an investment uh, firm exposure to all of that narrative. So a, a few things that we try to do different on the Web3 native fund, which is the one that I run, is to go search for opportunities that are only available here. So very, very native things uh, such as DeFi, such as like bridges, intercommunication, uh, L2s, ZK, that, that sort of thing. Got it. Got it. Cool. Well, that about concludes our time here. Um, but we'd love to get your, you know, just kind of give you the final word here if you have anything else you want to add. And I would love to hear from you just who are you interested in in talking to? What type of projects are you interested in? Maybe getting in touch with, um, and then how can folks be, folks uh, best get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you can look up for me on LinkedIn, at Zhang Shu, or Twitter as well. It's Zhang Shu as well. It's really easy to find me. And well, uh, I think some final words here is that I'm really excited. Uh, about this moment that we are living right now. Uh, I think we are one of the first 
uh, funds here of a new type of funds that will start to arrive more and more funds that actually engage natively with this kind of technology. There is so much opportunities, uh, so much alpha that can be extracted on the market. Uh, opportunities that don't exist today on, on TradFi. There's so much asymmetry of information, of technology, uh, opportunities that only exist on chain and that we are being able to, to engage with that. So I think more and more other funds will start to, to take that approach as well. Uh, there's probably some, as the regulation evolves as well, that will bring uh, more and more, more comfort for our other institutions to take that approach as well. Uh, we have definitely done our homework here to, to build our, our security policies and to engage with with policymakers and regulators uh, to run our strategies with uh, a lot of safety. But I, I think with more clarity, especially in the US, uh, more and more funds will start to take their approach. And I think that's the way to go. You know, I think that's the future for investments for a new a new set of funds that will arrive in the market. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Jayan, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's great to have this conversation. Great to finally get you on the show here. And uh, thanks to everyone for uh, watching, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks, Sarah.